We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. Thank you to our band for leading us this morning in uh, such a sweet time of singing. Uh, please allow me to introduce myself. My name's Adam, for anyone who's visiting with us and haven't had the privilege of meeting yet. Um, hope to extend that welcome to you, to you. Hopefully you've already felt that during this time. Excuse me, the words are already uh, flipping out of my mouth this morning, so we'll get it rolling. Uh, but uh, we are sincerely glad you're here, and uh, would love to extend an invitation for you to stick around after the service, get to know our people a little bit better. Uh, we also do have a connect table. We would love to meet you out there and uh, get to know you a little better, give you a chance to get to know us, and uh, answer any questions you might have. Uh, Mayus members, it's always such a joy to be with you all uh, in our time here, gathering as we worship our Lord in our homes uh, throughout this community. Uh, just immensely thankful for all that you do for my family and for each other. Uh, in light of that, I did want to bring our attention to a couple of announcements, some opportunities for us in the month to come. Uh, first off, we are going to be doing a Christmas Eve service. So uh, this is going to be at 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve. So December 24th, we'll be in the loft above Emmaus here. And uh, we'll have the opportunity to gather and sing Christmas carols and uh, uh, hear the scriptures and get to celebrate the coming of Christ during this Advent season. Uh, for our ladies, we have a women's gathering coming up this Saturday. I know it's been announced several times, but I wanted to give you kind of a last reminder of that. It is going to be December 11th, so this coming Saturday, at the Kane Meyer Building on campus at Midwestern Seminary, so up in the back on the hill. Uh, for those of you who are going to be attending, it'll be from 9.30 to noon, and I uh, really want to encourage any ladies to come out and Enjoy yourselves. Have a good time. Uh, I was instructed to tell you to bring a mug. Uh, I think there's going to be a mug exchange. It'll be a good time of fellowship. Also, feel free to bring uh, your daughters. Uh, if you do, uh, would ask that you have them bring an ornament as well, if you're able to. They're going to be doing an ornament exchange. So really just an opportunity for our ladies to gather together in fellowship, and uh, we're really excited for that. So uh, this morning, we are going to be continuing our series in Ecclesiastes as we draw near to the conclusion uh, I did want to take just a brief moment and uh, recognize and acknowledge uh, as we come together this morning, there are many churches and Christians across the country uh, in light of uh, what's happening at our Supreme Court this week as there is a deliberation um, considering the legality of abortion. And uh, just wanted to take a moment and join with many Christians across this country in praying that uh, the Lord would begin the process of removing the stain of the sin of abortion from this nation and praying that uh, true justice would be served as, uh, as the proceedings take place. So, uh, so I want to open up the word here in a moment. Before we do, though, before we begin this weighty task, I want to go before the Lord and ask him to bless us during this time. So if you would, bow with me, and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ the only mediator between God and man. Lord, we ask that our time spent during this morning would be for that purpose, that we would magnify and lift up the name of Jesus in our midst, Lord. We pray that, Lord, for those who are wandering or far off from you this morning, Lord, that the magnificent name of Jesus, Lord, the blood of Christ would draw them near, Lord, that they would see your magnitude and worth and, and come to you and worship. Lord, I pray that you would Edify your saints, 
Lord, that you would take the wayward and the stumbling and, and Lord, remind them of your grace. Lord, I pray that you would do all these things uh, through your word in a way that none of us could do. Lord, Spirit, would you apply uh, the work of sanctification, the work of restoration, Lord, that you would bring men and women near this morning. Lord, we do just want to lift up and pray that you would be with, Lord, our God-appointed authorities in this nation as they deliberate. Lord, we do just pray that you would, Lord, remove abortion from this nation, Lord. We pray that you would restore a, a vision of sanctity of life that starts at the very bottom, the weakest among us, and works its way all the way up to the top, Lord, that we would value your image bearers, um, not only as your people, the church, Lord, but as a nation as well. So we pray that your hand would be um, mighty to uh, remove this stain from our country, Lord. And so we pray for wisdom. We pray that, uh, Lord, that you would remind all of us um, of this. Lord. Even in conversation uh, heard earlier this week, there's just a reminder of how much our nation truly does uh, belittle and undervalue children. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people who value your creation, Lord, your Imago Day in all people. Lord, be with us as we open up your text and as we're reminded, Lord, of how we are to spend ourselves in a world that is fleeting, Lord, that you would give us uh, encouragement and you would give us mission as we go into the world. Uh, do this for us, in your name I pray, amen. So what does it look like to live faithfully in a world that is fleeting? Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, this Reality has been postured over and over again that we live in a world that is marked by hevel. For those of you who haven't been traveling with us through this series, uh, let me take a brief moment to remind you when we say this word hevel, it's kind of a big word, a Hebrew word, uh, simply pointing to the reality that this world is fleeting. It is temporary. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, we've seen uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God has given the words to the preacher Solomon, as he has unpacked several of the realities of hevel that exist under the sun, many of them being quite devastating when we consider them to their fullest extent. We've been challenged by realities like many of us will work our entire lives to build up all of these things, only to die and take none of them with us. What's worse, those things often will be distributed to people who don't deserve them and didn't even earn them. They'll carry them forward. We've been reminded so often in this fleeting world that there will be times where the wicked are regarded as those who are righteous, and the righteous will be seen as the ones who are wicked. And perhaps even worst of all, we've been reminded that no matter how we live, no matter what the circumstances that face us in the moment, the specter of death looms large, ominously waiting, in which none of us will escape our coming death. In the face of such realities, there's a temptation to resort to things like cynicism, escapism, even a temptation to join in the debauchery of paganism. And yet, as Christians, we know that there's something better for us, not only in the future, but right here, right now. Our passage is going to remind us of this today. For you see, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has declared to us, behold, I am making all things new. Though this world is passing away, we know that his kingdom is eternal. So again, we must ask ourselves the question, in light of these paradoxical realities, how do we live as those who are in a fleeting world in light of eternity? 
Our passage today is going to offer us some very practical handles for us to grasp onto as we approach life under the sun. And we see today an exhortation and a challenge that we are to be a people who live generously. We are to be a people who invest of ourselves fully in the time that God has given us under the sun. So we're going to be looking at that today as we consider what life looks like under the sun in light of eternity. So uh, let's notice this first in verses 1 through 6. We're going to begin today by reading uh, verses 1 through 3. So join me in doing that. If you have your Bibles open, please. Uh, And it says this, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. So Solomon begins our time with this charge to cast our bread upon the waters with the assurance that it will return to us. We will find it. Uh, We must acknowledge from the jump that this is a a bit of a bizarre statement for us. Um, Probably many, many of us do have experience casting our bread upon the waters, but It was at a nice park somewhere, and there were geese, probably, likely. Uh, Let's just be honest, attacking us. Geese are very horrible creatures sometimes. So, uh, um, but uh, that might be our only experience with such a metaphor here. So, Uh, so I want to take a moment to kind of get some consensus. Many scholars who have studied this passage tend to agree generally that this reference has something to do with a business expenditure, kind of a, a financial investment. In fact, this picture of casting our bread upon the waters is this idea of investing in overseas shipping. So even in our modern pleasantries, likely most of us would consider uh, such an investment somewhat of a a risky thing. When we think about the ocean, it's a very violent and unpredictable place. The thought of putting valuable cargo onto a ship and sending it over long distances carries a certain level of risk that comes with that. Certainly, when we ground it in the context of the day with uh, lesser technology, wooden ships, things of that nature, uh, we're reminded just how perilous such an event would be. To take something that is our our precious good, something like bread, which represents something that is very fragile, uh, something that doesn't last very long, and putting it on a boat in hopes that it will make it to its destination, and then one day return something to us, uh, requires a great deal of faith requires a great deal of faith, for you never know what ships will sink, and even the ships that make it to the destination, who knows when they'll actually return back. And friends, as we think about this metaphor, it really does provide us a powerful image of the Christian life. For you see, so often we find ourselves in a world, as we've said over and over again, in which there is a a hatred for the things of God, which the gospel is seen as an offense And so often we find ourselves confronted with these realities as we are seeking to live faithfully for the Lord in this life. It feels like a similar venture, a risky expenditure in which we very seldom see the full impact of our investment. We seldom get to experience the full return in which we have put into something. And even when we do, oftentimes we find that it comes after years of labor, perhaps even decades before we see the investment in the hand of God and the things that we've done. Perhaps some of us feel that way this morning. Perhaps we find ourselves laboring in a circumstance where we find ourselves overwhelmed by the challenges it presents. 
Maybe you're a young family here today seeking to make an investment in your children, hoping that that will bring forth and spring forth godliness in the generations to come, and yet you find yourself overwhelmed by the fleetingness of our day. The days are marked with cleaning the same spill that happened five seconds ago, breaking up squabbles and arguments. Perhaps you find yourself going to work day after day, seeking to be a light for Christ, and yet you find yourself constantly being pushed back against by your coworkers, rejected by even those who are close to you and seen as unintelligent or seen as uncaring for standing up for the gospel. And yet I want to remind you today and encourage you today, friends, that very seldom in the scriptures do we see the life of faith, the life of the people of God compared to the work of the race car driver. And yet almost always we see that this is an investment that is marked more by the work of the farmer, someone who is sowing and investing, knowing that the return will not come immediately. And friends, in many ways, this is a countercultural thought to our current context in which we have fast food, fast internet, we have fast everything. And there's a temptation to believe that anything that doesn't provide immediate results or instant gratification is not worth it or is of no value. And yet, friends, I want to encourage you today and remind you that your work is not one in which the investment may come quickly. There will be times when your labor is not met with the cheers of this world, but the jeers. And yet I encourage you to press on. Invest your time, your resources, that which God has given you to faithfully serve in the moment where he's placed you, knowing that even if the circumstances around you are screaming, bad investment. This is like throwing your bread on the ocean and hoping the boat comes back. And yet, friends, this is a investment that is guaranteed full return. We have the promises of God that Christ will cash in and deliver paid in full everything he's promised to us. So I encourage you not to believe your surroundings right now. Don't let the turmoil that surrounds you or the hevel that surrounds you convince you that what you're doing is insignificant. But trust that God is doing something mighty within it. Friends, with such a powerful promise and reminder, how are we to live? Verse 2 gives us this in, in a plain exhortation. I'm going to read that one more time. It says this. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Friends, just again is yet another uh, somewhat challenging uh, verse to interpret, and yet here again we see uh, majority consensus. Most scholars who have come to this passage believe this really is a call and an exhortation for generosity. This is a call to take that which God has given us and be willing to, to spread it generously, to invest it far and wide. Friends, I can think of few things more powerful than generosity in the Christian life. We've seen throughout the book of Ecclesiastes this exhortation to be those who are content, those who are trusting in the hand of God, even when the world around us looks as though things are going poorly. Friends, I can think of few things that reveal within our hearts a true spirit of contentment, a true acknowledgement that God is in control than being those who are generous with what he has given us. You see, generosity has a way of, of taking our hearts and putting them with our feet, right? The old phrase, putting the rubber to the road, or uh, putting words 
uh, putting your words into action, right? Generosity has a way of kind of calibrating our bodies to follow what our minds and hearts already know. There are a few things more countercultural and more powerful than for us to say in a society in which the idea of, of self-help, self-pleasure uh, seem to be king than to say, I have this resource, it could be a blessing to me. I have this time, I'd really like to use it on myself, and yet I'm going to willi- willingly choose it to bless you. I'm going to willingly choose to use these valuable things that God has given me to bless those around me. Friends, what a powerful tool that the Lord's given us. It reminds us of our place within this context. We recognize that God is the giver of all good things, so we hold everything loosely. Now, I must confess that uh, I have found myself, at times, my sin in my own heart has been exposed by a lack of generosity in my life. In fact, when I first moved to Kansas City, I I came here to go to Midwestern and to study to become a pastor. Prior to doing that, I was a school teacher. And uh, I don't know if I ever verbalized this to anyone audibly, but in my heart as I was leaving, I said emphatically and firmly, I will never teach school another day in my life. Never. When my wife became pregnant with our first child, I realized that I needed to step up and be more financially responsible for our family so that she could stay home and take care of our daughter. Uh, I began to scour the yellow pages with the intent to find something desperately that would give me something to do other than teach, and yet the Lord in his uh, kindness <laughs> gave me a job teaching school again. And uh, I must confess, those first several months, really the first year of me teaching, I found myself incredibly discontent. And one of the ways I saw this manifesting most is I became unbelievably stingy with my time. I thought, if I'm going to be doing something I don't want to do, when the weekend comes, I should be able to do whatever I want. I found myself passing up on opportunities to invest in community, passing up on chances to invest in mission, and ultimately I found myself a very unhappy person. And yet, praise be to God in his kindness, I had a, an awakening moment uh, in, our, in our residency here at Emmaus, actually, when I learned very emphatically and clearly that God had used my teaching, putting me in front of students every day, speaking, to make me more comfortable as a public speaker, to turn me into a better preacher. And I realized that God was actually doing something kind to me and putting me in that circumstance. And uh, it had a way of changing my heart in that moment by God's grace. So I have to ask us today, in light of that, are there areas in our life where we see a lack of generosity pointing to sin that has taken root in your heart this morning? Where do you find yourself being most likely to, um, I apologize, the best image I see in my mind is Gollum from Lord of the Rings holding on to the ring, right? This very uh, possessive holding on to something. What is that which you are least likely and willing to give up? Where do you find yourself most stingy? Is it your money? Is it your time? Is it other resources? I would encourage you today, as crazy as this sounds, for my brothers and sisters in this room in Christ, that it truly is one of the most profound paradoxes in the Christian life, though, that when you begin to look less and less to things to provide you happiness, you will truly begin to learn to enjoy those things more fully. 
You will see the goodness in those things more fully when you take the weight and pressure of ultimate happiness off of them and simply enjoy them for what they are as God has given to you. When you begin to enjoy them and say, not in a flippant stance, but say generally, these are good things, Lord. If you would have me to give them to others, and I will do so joyfully. Uh, this is a beautiful gift of the Christian life. We notice in Solomon's charge here to generosity, though, he kind of attaches a very practical reason onto the end of it. Uh, as we can see there, I'll read it again. He says, for you know not what disaster may happen. So here he's given us this call to invest. He's given us this call to be generous. And uh, he puts kind of this very practical caveat on it. He says, for we do not know when disaster may take place. I think this is a valid reason of itself, but I do want to read verses 4 through 6 as well, because I think this more fully fleshes out what Solomon is saying here. So uh, let's read that real quickly. He says this, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of the Lord who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So here we see this more powerful picture of Solomon as he's charged us to generosity, as he's given us this call to invest of ourselves, he reminds us our position ultimately within God's creation. We've seen this multiple times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, but it bears repeating again and again, friends, we are not the ultimate movers and shakers under the sun. Friends, there are things that are happening. There's things that are going on that we cannot put our thumb upon, that we cannot explain. As someone who teaches science, I find it it beautiful that the metaphor used here is in verse 5, is this picture of we do not know how the Spirit comes into the bones of a woman who is with child. Friends, there is much about the human birthing process that remain a mystery to us. Even in the midst of all of the progress that science has afforded to us, the, the mapping of the human body, physiology, all of these things, and yet there are so many aspects about childbirth child being knit together in the mother's womb that still continue to elude us and evade us. In fact, there might be some in the room who will challenge me on this, but at last blush when I read a science textbook, there was no real good tangible explanation to describe how our eyelids form. Inside of our mother's womb, at one point, we had this flap of skin over our eyes, then one day it just turns into two. There was no real good tangible way to describe how that took place. And so we see even in the midst of the progress of knowledge and searching, we still continue to find that there's mystery to God and his work in creation that is profound. So friends, may this be a reminder to us as we are considering our role under the sun, as we consider what do we do when we've been given this precious gift of time, when we've been given the resources that God has placed into our hand, knowing that our days are short, how should we invest of it? Friends, our call is to labor well and is to work hard. Notice this in verse 4. There's kind of a, a challenge of which we see that there are those who will observe the wind and not sow. Those who will regard the crowds, the clouds but never reap. Friends, we see this picture of a farmer who is a farmer in name but not in action, right? He studies the wind patterns. He sees the way the clouds are moving in and out. 
when it will rain, when it will not. But he never actually put seed into the ground. Friends, I see this tendency often where we can easily slip into a posture where we think that it is perfectly fine to criticize and analyze the actions of everyone around us, and yet we never actually do anything ourselves. Now hear me, I don't want to create a false dichotomy. There are times when you do not have to have perfect doctrine. You don't have to have perfect practice in order to see something that is biblically unfaithful and call attention to it. This is not being a hypocrite to do so. And yet, I do think there is a danger for us when we become those who are very good at analyzing things from the sideline and yet ever, never actually put our hands into the dirt ourselves. For you see, there will be no reaping without the sowing process. I see this oftentimes as we critique the evangelism strategies of many of around us and yet never share the gospel with anyone ourselves. So friends, I encourage you, remind you, in verses 6, we have this promise from God. Ours is the task of dropping the seed into the ground. And as much as that labor requires sweat and tears, any of you who have ever done a garden, or certainly if you are farmers, know this better than I. However, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, that truly is the easiest part, right, in an ultimate sense. It's easier to drop a seed in the ground. It's much harder to make it turn into something amazing like a plant. And yet we have this full encouragement that God is the one who reaps our harvest. God is the one who brings about life from the seed. Ours is the task to sow. So I encourage you today, Christians, to be a people who are sowers. Be a people who are laboring well. Use your precious gifts that God has given you in this time to be those who work hard unto the Lord. Our passage concludes uh, in light of this with a final exhortation to faithfulness under the sun. Uh, Let's read these verses 7 through 10. It says this, Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put pain away from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Those of you who have been traveling with us through this book, uh, you might notice there's a bit of poetic irony almost in verse 7 here. We've spent much of Ecclesiastes hearing this phrase, under the sun, almost as this continual source of frustration and vexation. And yet, here we see as Solomon is coming near to the conclusion in this book, he, he makes this acknowledgement that the light from the sun is sweet, right? That it is pleasant to have the rays of sunshine falling upon us. And friends, I think this is an important reminder. One of the most catastrophically dangerous and inaccurate conclusions to come from after reading a book like Ecclesiastes is to come away with the posture of saying everything is meaningless. Certainly this is not what we've seen over the last several months together, is it? And yet what we're reminded of is the world around us is fleeting. Perhaps you're here today and you're not a Christian and and maybe you are only peripherally affiliated with the church or maybe you grew up in a, a religious context in which you were 
uh, oftentimes kind of hit and hammered with the law over and over again, and you were never seeing the grace of the gospel. And I just want to give us a moment to take and reflect and notice what is being said in verses 8 through 10. Words like rejoice are being used to describe how we should consider this life that God has given us. Encouragement in verse 10 to to take the good things that God has placed around us and, and use this to remove vexation from our hearts. When you find yourself sad, calling up a good friend and drinking a good cup of coffee is a gift of God to you. And friends, I think for many of us, we have this picture that life is meant to be all stoic and somber. And yet what we see here is a reminder that we can genuinely rejoice in God's good things. Now, that word rejoice is not, okay, you're allowed to smile, but don't like it too much. You can eat cake, but never actually swallow it, right? You're allowed to taste the frosting, but you can't inhale. Um, That's not what's being said here, right? What's being put before us is this full-orbed exhortation by the preacher Solomon to rejoice in the gifts that God has given us. So, friends, I want to remind you today that it's not antithetical in the Christian life to genuinely enjoy God's good creation around us. When we see the beautiful fall leaves driving through Kansas City, we're allowed to look at those and say, wow, this is amazing. When we eat good food, enjoy good company, see beautiful art, we're allowed to genuinely find joy in these things, to find comfort and gladness in these things. And yet, friends, we see that God has given us these things as a means to bring himself glory. There's another aspect of this passage I want to I unpack, but I want to do so as we move into our time of conclusion. and We move into our uh, pastoral charges. In light of this text, I want us to consider this. We were meant to enjoy God's creation in light of God's judgment. Now, that seems like a very strong paradox, right? How in the world can these two things be meshed together? Judgment and joy don't go together, right? Opposite sides of the spectrum. That's what we're tempted to believe. And yet we see this throughout the passage, right? Solomon is proclaiming to us, rejoice in what God has given to you. But remember the day of darkness is coming. He's saying, rejoice. Allow God's good creation to remove vexation from your heart. Enjoy your youth and yet remember the judgment. What are we to make of this? Friends, I would remind you and charge you to both the believer and non-believer here alike. We're reminded that true joy is found in God's way. No matter what the world around you may seek to sell you, through ads, seek to sell you through the ideologies of our day, there is no joy to be found in sin. The temporary pleasures that you might experience through that have no long-lasting effect. In fact, the more you eat of it and the more you partake of it, the more bitter it becomes over time. Perhaps some of you have experienced this firsthand and you know the sting of sin and death as you have pursued it headlong, and yet you find yourself today wanting something more. Friends, I remind you today that God is for your joy. He's for your good. 
and you have friends, your joy and your good will never be found in sin. The things that God has said are wicked, are wicked. They will lead to your death and your destruction. So I call upon you today to live with true joy now. How do we do this? By coming to Christ. By coming to Christ as Lord, by laying down our lives through the work of the Spirit to submitting to God's good law, to following in obedience to Him and seeing that that which God has said no to are things that are for our bad and that which He has said yes to are things that we can enjoy for our good. Friends, we think back even to the Garden of Eden. There was this massive garden, all these beautiful things. Plants were literally eagerly springing up from the ground is the imagery that was given to us in Genesis 1, and yet God says there's one thing you can't do. Does that sound like a tyrant? Does that sound like a a buzzkill or someone who's trying to remove our joy? No. God is our good Father. That which He has given to us for our joy are good things, and that which He has called us to not partake in are, are for our harm. So I call you today to choose Christ. Trust Christ to be all satisfying to you. For you see, a day is coming when Jesus, we will all stand before him. We will stand before Jesus. And I must say to you, for those in the room who have perhaps only experienced Jesus exclusively from a uh, Hallmark greeting card, where Jesus is only a nice guy who never wanted to offend anybody, the Bible shows us that the day is coming when Jesus will stand as King of kings and Lord of lords. He will be the leader of the army of heaven. A sword will come from his mouth and he will judge the nations. And so, friends, when you see Christ, there will be one of two responses. Either he will draw you near as a friend or he will crush you as his enemy. No, this is not fun to talk about, especially in our modern, modern pleasantries where we don't talk about religion or politics, and yet I, I would not be doing my job this morning if I didn't warn you today. Friends, Christ is that good. Turn to him today and follow after him. Finally, I want to give an exhortation one last time to the believers in this room to feel the freedom that is yours, to enjoy God's creation, to take these good gifts that he's given to you. Many of you have beautiful homes. Many of you have wonderful personalities of hospitality that make people feel so warm in your presence. Many of you find yourself blessed with many gifts. And I want to challenge you today to use these things to glorify God. It's an investment that will have a return that you will receive, and you won't regret it, I promise you. You might find yourself a little more tired that weekend because you accidentally, you know, I'm going to go ahead and host this uh, event even though I came home at 5 o'clock and the house was still messy. The kids were running around, right? It's still worth it. Invest in it. Press into it. Give of yourself generously and trust that God is going to use it in a mighty way. Friends, we are not those who resort to escapism. We're not forced to hide in the corner, and yet God has given us this time and these resources to be active in sowing and working Uh, for his kingdom during this time. And so I want to encourage you to press in fully. Let's pray. Triune God, we are so thankful for this reminder this morning, Lord, as it it can be so tempting in a, a world that so often hates you. It hates
hates that which you have called good, and it calls good that which you have called evil. Lord, it, it can be overwhelming to think that we find ourselves, um, Lord, laboring sometimes in the face of such opposition. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would encourage your saints this morning, Lord, that we, ours is an investment that is guaranteed, Lord, that you have promised to take that which we are doing, Lord, the resources that you've given us as we are sowing these seeds and planting, that you have promised that there will be an eternal investment. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just encourage my brothers and sisters in the room this morning, Lord, whether it be, Lord, a moment now where they are, Lord, seeking that their children would come to faith in you, Lord, whether it would be that they are are seeking to learn and, and use their resources faithfully, Lord, whether they are struggling with how to invest their time and their money, and Lord, the things that you've given them, I, Lord, I pray that you would just encourage them to, to step out faithfully. Lord, so many men and women in this room do this so faithfully already, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to encourage them to do it faithfully, Lord. Lord, for those who are, are struggling to, to find generosity in their heart, Lord, I pray that you would help them even now to begin to put, um, put their feet on the ground and begin walking, Lord, even if it feels... Uh, foreign or fake to them, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just give them joy in learning to, to trust you and investing of themselves for your kingdom, Lord. Lord, do this with us even now as we prepare to come forward and, and take this meal. I pray that you would remind us of the joy that is ours. Uh, Lord, I pray you would do so in light of judgment. Uh, in your name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmaus KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Emmaus KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.